In the early 300s, Ephraim the Syrian penned these words. He gave his hands to be pierced by nails in place of that hand that had plucked the fruit. He was struck on the cheek in the judgment hall in return for that mouth that had devoured in Eden. Because Adam had let his foot slip, they pierced his feet. Our Lord was stripped naked so that we might be clothed in modesty. With gall and vinegar he made sweet that bitter venom that the serpent had poured into mankind. Ephraim captures, I believe, the crescendo of the story of the Bible. If we were to distill the Bible down to a single word, a single idea that runs from Genesis through Revelation, it is the story of redemption. God redeeming a people out of humanity for His glory. As he understood with crystal clarity, Ephraim penned these words so that you and I might understand that there in the brokenness of the garden of Eden awaited another garden where a greater Adam would come and fully and finally redeem the people of God through his blood that was shed upon Calvary's cross, our sin would finally be paid in full. That what was lost in the Garden of Eden would be fully restored in the greatest story of redemption the world would ever know. And the point that we have gathered here this evening in considering the death of Christ is to lead us to praising this eternal God who has redeemed us, who has saved us. Not because of anything done by us in righteousness. Not because we merited it. Not because we deserved it. Not because we figured it out and everyone else is left on the outside. But because of His divine purpose that has been realized in the person of Christ. As we consider the cross of Christ, it ought to lead us to worship. It ought to lead us to praise. And so it did for the Apostle Paul as he picked up his pen to write to the church in Ephesus. He began this grand letter, a glorious letter, perhaps one of the richest besides Romans theological letters that Paul would ever pen. But before he gets anywhere, he begins with worship of the triune God, both Father, Son, and Spirit. That the triune God, as we've saying in how deep the Father's love, that it was the Father's eternal plan that has now come to reality. That His eternal purposes have been realized in the coming of Christ and His redemptive purposes. 
And that the Son gave His life as a willing sacrifice. And the Spirit has carried His Word out across humanity and breathed life where there is death and has been a guarantee, a seal upon the people of God waiting their day of redemption. Brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, the short of the story is this. We have been enveloped in this glorious triune God and its praise for Himself, His self-love. And in the midst of this, God has invited us to be saved and redeemed for His glory. We could say it this way, that the point of everything that God has done is for His glory. And so I invite you to look here with me at Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read beginning in verse 3 tonight. We're going to just focus in on a number of verses, 7 through 10. Paul begins in verse 3, and just here as the symphony begins to sing and the angels begin to cry out as the Apostle Paul sings praise to the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, and here it is, to the praise of His glorious grace which He blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of of His glory, to the praise of His glory. We see in this text that that the Apostle Paul exhorts the church in Ephesus to praise God for choosing us in Christ. We saw that there in verses 3 and 6. In verses 7 and 10, which we're going to consider tonight, we see that, that Paul exhorts the church to praise God for redeeming us in Christ. But we're not merely to stop there. In verses 11 and 12, the Apostle Paul says that we ought to praise God for our inheritance in Christ. We have an inheritance. And finally, he exhorts us to praise God in verses 13 through 14 for our security in Christ. This is a wonderful text. I encourage you to meditate upon it. As we consider this tonight, this is the point I want you to have lodged in your mind as you leave. As Christians, we should continually praise God for redeeming us in Christ according to the riches of God's grace. God has redeemed us. 
And the purpose of this sermon is really to be kindling for the fire of our souls that would then ignite us into praise. To praise God for redeeming us. Friend, have you ever considered that you have been redeemed? What does it mean to be redeemed? Well, tonight I want us to think for just a moment about how we praise God for our redemption. And I don't believe you can praise God for something you don't understand. So let's think about it. Look there at verse 7 again. In the middle of this eulogy that, that Paul is crying out to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in verse 7 he says, In Him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. In Christ, we have redemption through His blood. The first thing we see in this text is that we have redemption. We have it. Notice the Apostle Paul does not say that you might have redemption or you will have redemption. No, rather he shifts from the past tense that he, as he thought about what the Father did historically in eternity past, he shifts to the present and he says, you have redemption. Friend, what is redemption? Well, simply put, redemption means to buy back or to purchase. To redeem something is to, is to purchase something. Uh, to purchase a, one's freedom from slavery or captivity. Uh, of course, if you have ever read your Bible, the Old Testament is that story of redemption that it began. The nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt, and God sent a deliverer named Moses who would rescue his people, and God was seen as the great deliverer or redeemer. And so, as the nation of Israel was leaving captivity, they cried out in Exodus 15, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. Or in 2 Samuel 7, 23, all, and who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself, a people for his own possession. You see, God has always been about calling out a people from humanity to purchase for his very special possession. To be redeemed means to be purchased, to be bought. Notice he says that in Christ we have been redeemed. We are not waiting for this redemption. We are told by the Apostle Paul that it is already ours and all we wait for is the fulfillment of it. Or as Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. What a wonderful truth this is that you have been purchased. But friend, just like any purchase that you and I make, it comes at a certain cost. It requires some currency. We don't just walk up into any store and begin to take things off the shelf and say, I'm going to buy this and walk out without paying for it. Perhaps you do, but um, it won't go well for you. No, no, no. Our redemption was paid by the currency of Christ's blood. Look with me here again at verse 7. In Him we have been redeemed through His blood. 
through his blood. This prepositional phrase indicates to us the currency, the economy by which God used to make that transaction. In the economy of God, it was the bloody death of Christ that then purchased our redemption. Therefore, we do not believe that Calvary's cross was an accident. We do not believe that it was the sad fate of someone who had rebelled against the authorities there in Rome. Rather, we believe that Jesus Christ willingly died as a sacrifice for our sin. And that His sacrifice was effectual. That means that the currency that was paid actually did pay the debt. And that that debt is paid in full. You see, the Bible teaches us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Friend, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and you get a glimpse of this picture. Adam and Eve are in the garden naked and ashamed because they had eaten They had rebelled against God. God had commanded them, do not eat of this tree. You can have everything else, but you cannot have this. And they willfully rebelled against God. And when they rebelled, their eyes were open, we are told, and they saw their nakedness, and they made for themselves coverings in order to hide their nakedness. And just as God had promised, He cursed Adam and Eve for their rebellion. But they did not die. And we got a glimpse of God's grace. God fashioned for Adam and Eve clothes out of the skins of animals. As a picture that the death of something else would cover our shame. That someone would die in the place of the sinner. As we sing so often, what riches of kindness He has lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins they are many, but His mercy is more. Friend, the death of Christ reveals a great reality. You could never pay back the debt you owe. You and I would never be able to live long enough. Even the faintest idea of a heretical teaching of purgatory does not measure up to the length of time needed to somehow pay back God for our rebellion. You see, one sin against an infinite God demands an infinite punishment. Our God is simply too holy and just just to kind of sweep our sins under the rug. It had to be dealt with. And one of the glorious things as we consider the death of Christ is this reality. 
that the result of our redemption has brought about, look there in verse 7, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now some of us might think that God is so loving and so kind and so merciful and gracious that He simply looks past our sins. Like a parent looks past the failures of their child. Or like that benevolent grandfather who just simply continues to give and give and give despite the wretchedness of their grandchildren. Friend, this is not our God that we worship. Our God is too holy to simply sweep sin away. Sin must be dealt with. If God doesn't punish sin, then God ceases to be God. This is what David was praising God for in Psalm 103. But the point that David makes isn't merely that God casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. Yes, he does do that. But he makes clear he does it through the death of another through the the sacrifice that would come in the greater David, King Jesus. This is the point the Apostle Paul makes in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake He made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, the hope of the Gospel is that That God deals with our sin. He doesn't sweep our sin under the rug and then allow them to crawl back out again. No, He fully and finally deals with them so that then, as the Apostle Paul says here, He can forgive us our trespasses. He can blot them out. We see also here Not only the result, but the basis. The basis of our redemption is God's abundant grace towards us. Look again. Look there again at verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, through His atoning sacrifice on the Calvary's cross. We have redemption. And, and, And Paul describes it here as the forgiveness of Our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. There it is. According to, this means, this is the standard or basis by which redemption has come. It is His grace. And the Apostle Paul says that He's lavished it upon us. According to the riches of His grace. God's grace is is rich. He he is not poor in grace. His grace doesn't run out. It doesn't run empty. It does not run low. But rather, it it is abundant. And He uses it abundantly in our lives as He lavishes it, He says, on us. He rubs us down with it from head to toe. Friend, here's the point. As we consider the cross of Christ, there we see that God has withheld nothing from you. We just sang that. We just sang that. And that glorious hymn, do you pay attention to what we sing? Do you? I hope you do. 
I hope you do. What more can heaven give? What more can heaven give? You know, we, we act like we're such needy people, like we don't have anything. Friend, if you have Christ, you have everything. There is nothing more that God ought to give you. If God gave us nothing else, He gave us everything in giving us Christ. He gave you His own Son that you might have life. He withheld nothing from you. How dare us complain when we face the sorrows and sufferings of this world? How dare we we doubt God's goodness and grace when we consider what God and what lengths God would go in order to redeem us? Friend, your redemption was no cheap purchase. And therefore, we live by no cheap grace. God's grace is a well that never grows dry. And the point we ought to see is that God saves to put His character on display. We could continue to go through this and I, and I hope you would just study it and see that this resounding for the praise of His glorious grace We sing a song on on Sunday mornings often, to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. And each verse of that song goes through this particular verse, these verses, praising the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, to the praise of His glorious grace. God is saved by grace alone. And the reason we praise God is because He redeemed us through the bloody death of Christ on the cross. Friend, tonight perhaps you doubt whether or not your sin is paid in all. Look no further than the cross. What more could be done? What what more could you give? How much more could you tithe? How many more Sunday school classes could you really attend? How many Sunday services could... How many good works would add to what God did on the cross? What pride that we would think that somehow we lack something if we have believed upon Christ. Perhaps for you it is that your sin is too great. That your sin is is too heinous. No one knows about them. You've, You've done a good job keeping them quiet. Friend, God knows them. And one day you will stand before Him in judgment. What will be the currency that you will use to merit your entrance into His presence? Will it be your cries and pleads for sorrow? Will it be those sorrowful cries, I'm sorry if I had it all over to do it again, I would be better next time? Friend, that won't work. Believe. And praise God that if by faith you believe in the atoning work of Christ, your your sins, the ones you committed, will be forgiven in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we ought to see that this is God's eternal purpose that has been realized. What God has begun, He will bring to completion. 
We ought not to grow weary in doing good. We ought not to grow concerned in this world, but know that God had a plan before He ever created the very first molecule. And God will make sure His plan is complete. In every great sympathy symphony, as the orchestra plays, and as the music begins to build to that crescendo, to that glorious point that everything has been building towards, every note, every string plucked, every note played, reaching that pinnacle point. The Apostle Paul says that the crescendo of God's eternal purposes have been realized in the person of Jesus Christ in His atoning death for our redemption. There is nothing greater in life to praise than the death of Christ for our sin and for our iniquity. Let's pray. Father, we come glorying in the cross of Christ that you would send your son to die the death that we rightly deserve. And even now as we sing and relish again through song, songs of praise, That you have redeemed vile and wicked sinners. Not because we merit it. Not because we deserved it. But because you you have chosen a people. You have redeemed a people for your own possession. Through the death of your own son. And it is an effectual death. That has paid the penalty in full. And so we praise you for redeeming us. For adopting us. We praise you for your work, for your glory, and for our good. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to conclude our time this evening by singing two more hymns together that reflect the truth that we consider this evening. Let's stand and sing The Power of the Cross.